Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. is the Daily Hammer on the Battery Power Podcast Network. I am your host, not Sean Coleman, obviously, as you can tell. Uh, I am Stephen Tolbert. I have my own show on this network. Um, If you don't know, this network has three separate shows. It's got the main show with Scott Coleman and and Brad Roland. It's got my show with uh, me and Chris Willis, uh, the podcast to be named later. And then Sean Coleman typically does... Our daily hammers are little bite-sized portions uh, throughout the weekend. Sean is out for the week or maybe a couple weeks, and so we're just filling in for him um, in the meantime, and we've got some stuff to get to. I'm sure you're aware by now, but the Braves are in the middle of a three-city, ten-game road trip that started in San Francisco, where the Braves took two out of three. It's a good series. They beat Logan Webb on Friday night with Spencer Strider. Um, then Max Fried had a, a solid game on Saturday, and they won that one. And then Sunday's game. Listen, this is one of the things we need to talk about in this episode, but if it's not obvious by now, it should be obvious that the Braves are going to have games where they want to win the game, but winning the game is not the number one goal. When they have as big a lead as they have, 12, 13 games up on the Phillies, depending on what day it is, even if for the number one overall seed, they've still got you know a four, four or five game lead. They don't have to win every game. They can pick and choose when they go hard after games and when they can use guys that maybe they don't always use. And Sunday was one of those games where they they used Jared Schuster to start the game, who's probably more of a minor league pitcher at this point in his career. He's not really, he doesn't really have major league stuff at this point. His command is not good enough to to justify the stuff that he uses, and he's still kind of a work in progress. And, you know, they used him, and I didn't think he pitched that poorly. You know, he didn't pitch great. You know, he doesn't miss bats. That's kind of his thing, but he didn't pitch poorly. And then, you know, they used Colin McHugh for a couple of innings. They used Michael Tonkin for the couple of innings. This was a game where they just weren't going to use their top guys. And from the beginning of the game really to the end, that's what they did. And if they scored enough runs to win, then great. But the goal was to reset the bullpen for the rest of the road trip, and and that was what they did. And I think there's going to be a couple of those throughout the rest of the year, especially when they get to that fifth starter spot. And, you know, if they want to bring a guy up for a spot start, it might not be the most optimal guy. It might not be the guy that gives them the absolute best chance to win. Uh, but they have the luxury of doing that. And if they need to rest, you know, reset their bullpen, then they might use guys that aren't exactly optimal for that situation, but their lead is big enough where they can just kind of roll the dice and, and see if that guy can do a job on any given night. So that's kind of where they are right now. And fans probably need to reset some ex- expectations on these games. 
when you have as big a lead as the Braves have, they can they can be very selective. I mean, they they can be at times it can look like they're not really caring about winning. And I don't think they would ever come out and say that, but I do think they have bigger fish to fry. I think they have bigger ideas in mind. And if they have to pitch a bunch of guys who maybe don't give them the very best chance of winning for a game to reset their whole bullpen or reset their rotation the way they want it, you know, this week is a good example. They're, they're probably not going to pitch Spencer Strider on Wednesday. They haven't announced that, but that's certainly what it's looking like. And whoever ends up pitching that game for the Braves is not the guy that's going to give them the best chance to win that day, but it is the guy that's going to allow them to to push, you know, Spencer Strider and Max Fried to games one and two against the Dodgers over the weekend. And that's what they should be doing, and that's what their big lead allows them to do, and, and they'll do the same thing with a bullpen and, you know, Brad talked about this a little bit on the main show and, and him and I have talked about it and he's talked about it for a long time. But, you know, Snit's idea of what high leverage is and our idea of what high leverage is are never going to really match up. And that's okay. I mean, he's always going to view a four-run lead or a five-run lead as a higher leverage situation than a one-run deficit. And that's frustrating because I certainly don't agree with it. I know Brad doesn't and a lot of us don't, but... That's just how he is. You know, he likes to bank wins, and if he can pitch his best guys, you know, with a four- or five-run lead, then he's going to do that. And if they have a one-run deficit, he's not going to pitch his best guys. And I think that's a little backwards in terms of the logic, but that's just how he is, and he's always been that way. And, you know, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. And it's always important to remember with managers that by far and away, and it's, there's not even a close second, far and away the most important aspect of that job is how you manage personalities over six months. Like you have to manage 35, 40, sometimes more personalities in a locker room who spend an ungodly amount of time with each other, more time together than they spend with their families. You have to keep everybody rowing in the same direction. You've got to squash any sort of beef or any, you know, any sort of nonsense that comes up over a six month period of, of that many guys being around each other that much. And you got to get those guys to play hard every single day and over a marathon season. And if you can do that, if you can manage a clubhouse like that, then you are one of the best managers in baseball. And that is what Brian Snitker is one of the very best at. And that is far and away his best quality as a manager and far and away the most important quality in a manager. And that's why he's as good as he is, that's why he keeps getting extensions. That's why he keeps, you know, he can have this job for basically as long as he wants because the Braves understand that the thing that's most important in that job is what he's best at and bullpen management and, you know, in-game tactics and strategies and stuff like that. That stuff matters, and but it doesn't matter to the extent that um, managing personalities matters. And that's why it's called a manager. He's not a head coach. He's, you know, they don't draw up plays. They're managing, you know, they're, they're therapists, they're guidance counselors. They're, they're trying to manage personalities and, and, you know, um, a whole locker room culture essentially. And so, and Snit is amazing at that. He's one of the best in baseball, if not the best. So it's easy to forget, you know, what's most important in that job. And it's easy to get tied up in, in bullpen management and when a guy pinch hits or when he does it. But, you know, it's important for fans to remember that 
the most important aspect of that job is what Snit is very best at, and the Braves are, are lucky to have him, quite honestly. All right, moving to some on-field stuff. The Braves did make a couple of roster moves today. They uh, brought back Ozzy Albies from the 10-day IL and optioned Vaughn Grissom back to Gwinnett, and they optioned Jared Schuster back to Gwinnett and brought Darius Vines up from AAA Gwinnett to most people believe start on Wednesday. That ha- They haven't actually confirmed that. Um, the Braves do need a starter for Wednesday because they – by all reports, are pushing Spencer Strider back to Thursday for a game one against the Dodgers. So the Braves do need a starter, and the fact that they sent down Schuster and called up Vines makes you believe that Vines will be the guy on Wednesday. We'll see what they do. They haven't announced anything. And I haven't noticed. Uh, let me double check, actually. Yeah, I was just checking to see if they announced anything after the game. I'm recording this after game one. Uh, the Braves just dogged walked the Rockies 14-4 to in game one of this series, and, and Acuna went off, but I was just seeing if they announced anything after the game about who's starting on Wednesday. I haven't seen anything yet, so uh, we don't have confirmation, but the tea leaves are pointing to Darius Fine starting on Wednesday, so we'll see what happens. But yeah, Ozzy's back, and that obviously gets the lineup back to being whole. I thought Nicky Lopez did a really good job in his place. Nicky Lopez is a is a fun player. He's got a ton of speed. He's a tremendous defender. He's not a great hitter, but you know the Braves don't really need another great hitter in the lineup. They they really needed some defensive help, and he's a good athlete. It's really fun watching him turn double plays. He's a really really good defender, and that was a strong addition by Alex because that was a a spot they they needed to shore up because it was. You know, it was Adrianza and Charlie Culberson and, and Vaughn Grissom, and I'm not sure any of those guys can actually play. They can all play a bunch of defensive spots, but I'm not sure any of them can, could play any of those spots well. And Nicky Lopez is a guy that not only can play all over the field, but is pretty much an elite defender everywhere he goes. So, yeah, that was cool to see. Vaughn got a little bit of playing time. He didn't get a ton. Uh, he got they, – they essentially did a platoon, basically, when there was a, a righty on the mound. Lopez played, and when there was a lefty on the mound, uh, Grissom played. And they said that they weren't really worried about Grissom's playing time because he'd already basically gotten a full season in Gwinnett. So they were comfortable sitting him on the bench. And now that Ozzy's back, I guess they want him back in Gwinnett. So that's where he went, and along with Schuster. So we'll see what that means for Wednesday. I, I, I guess technically they could, you know, option Vines before the game Wednesday and, and call somebody else up if they wanted you know, Soroka or somebody to start, we'll see what they do. But I I would think that if they wanted Soroka to start, they would have just used him as the move when they optioned Schuster. But you never know. We'll see what happens. Uh, that is what it's looking like. But, yeah, two two roster moves today. The Braves went into the game with a, with a full lineup for the first time since Ozzy went out. They just trounced the Rockies. I mean, the Rockies are not good. And all, not only are the Rockies not good, but they started a left-handed pitcher against the Braves, which is always a, a dangerous proposition. And, you know, if you remember back to that series, the Braves played in Atlanta against the Rockies. They beat them like a million to one, you know, over four games. It was a, a bloodbath. And so now that the, the games have moved to Coors and the Braves offense can really get going, it's going to be interesting to see if Colorado can keep any of these games close because, yeah, the Braves are just ridiculous. Uh, their offense is just absurd. One interesting part of Ozzy being back, and I didn't really think about this until 
it happened, but you know, when Ozzy was out, Michael Harris is the one that filled in, mostly batting second, and they went with Acuna Harris, Riley Olson, which made sense because obviously you don't want to stack righties or stack lefties. You want to try to be as as versatile as possible and make it as difficult as possible for other managers to to match you up later in games. But one one interesting side effect of, of Ozzy being out and Michael being in that second spot was it made it a lot easier for opposing managers to bring in a lefty anytime it was 2-3-4, right? Like if it's 2-3-4 with Michael Harrison there, then it's two lefties and Riley, and, and that's obviously a spot where you're going to bring in a lefty to face Olsen specifically. And But when that's Ozzy there, you know, because obviously he's a switch hitter, not he's a switch hitter, but he's a switch hitter who is substantially better from the right side. Um, it's it's a much more difficult proposition for managers to to try to match up Olsen with a lefty because to do that, you have to face right-handed Ozzy and Riley before you get there. And I thought that made a difference because, you know, Olsen, Olsen saw, I think Olsen had 17 plate appearances while Ozzy was out against left-handed batters, or I'm sorry, left-handed pitchers. 17 plate appearances against left-handed pitchers while Ozzy was out. And that was actually more plate appearances against lefties than, than Olsen saw all of July. Um, he saw more he saw more left-handed pitching while Ozzy was out than he did for the entire month of July. So, you know, it's, a, it's one of those small things that you don't really think about. But Ozzy being back, I think, is going to make it harder for teams to match him, to match Olsen up against lefties. And Olsen went through this little swoon. You know why Ozzy was out? He kind of cooled off and I don't know if that has anything to do with it but it's certainly it's one of those things I didn't think about until I saw it more and more and I was you know it was interesting I, I just kept noticing he kept getting matched up against lefties a lot more with Ozzy out and I think that's why because it's just easier to do so because obviously Harris is, is just a left-handed bat and he can't switch and, and therefore it's easier to match up so yeah that was an interesting thing and I'm, I'm curious to see if that you know, we'll track it to see how many left-handed bats he faces with Ozzy back. But, um, yeah, that was interesting. All right, last thing, and then we'll get out of here. But So the MVP race is kind of the big discussion happening right now all across, you know, mostly Braves and Dodgers Twitter, but even kind of national Twitter. You know, Jeff Passan got in on it. Uh, Mike Petriello got in on it. Um, there's some... We're kind of getting to the point of the season where this this thing this conversation starts happening more and more, which is just natural. It happens every year, and so I, I do want to give a take. I thought Brad and Scott did a good job talking about it on the main show on Sunday, but you know, Mookie Betts is absurd. Mookie Betts is is an absurd player. He's one of the best players in baseball, if if not the best player in baseball. He's already won an MVP on the AL side. Um, he is truly truly an elite player i mean one of the five best players in the sport pretty much every year and he has gone nuclear in the month of august i mean he has just absolutely gone nuclear in the month of august he's having i think i think i looked this up correct i think he's having the best month of his career in august which is i mean you think about how good mookie's been for so long uh, for him to be this good is is ridiculous and you know Acuna has not been bad in August Acuna's got like a 160 WRC plus in August he had a little 10 10 game like D 
dip where he was probably around 110, 120 WRC plus. But man, that's really you know that's really nitpicking when you break it down into that small of a sample. Um, just overall, he's he really hasn't been that bad. Um, if, if if anything, he's been very good. But you know, Mookie's having one of the best months anybody's ever had, and so that has vaulted him back up into the race and and arguably into the lead. Um, if you look at the betting sites, I know Brad talked about this on the main show, but you look at the betting sites, Ronald is not the favorite, and I'm not sure Ronald should be the favorite. Honestly, I mean that you know that's how good Mookie's been. And it's not like Mookie's been trash all year and just turned it on in August. He's been a really good player all year. Um, and on top of that is having a monster August. And so he's kind of jumped into the lead. But there's a couple of things I don't like about the discourse around MVPs or, or really any kind of voter-based award is I don't like how it always devolves into trashing one of the two players, right? Like if, you, if you're arguing for Mookie, then we got to trash Ronald. If we're arguing for Ronald, then we got to trash Mookie. And I've seen it on both sides from both fan bases in the last 24 hours and 48 hours and even the last few weeks as Mookie's been getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And I just, I can't stand, it's just the lowest form of, of discourse about a subject. Like, you know, it's never nuanced. It's never measured. It's always just kind of garbage takes and, yeah, I, I really try to stay out of the, the daily conversation because it's never healthy. It's never productive. It's always biased. You know, it's it's just kind of a, it's it's not great. And so, but it, it is fair to talk about that, like Ronnie's not the favorite anymore. And, you know, it looked like he was going to run away with this award. And Mookie just had other things. You know, he had other he had other ideas and even Freddie Freeman, you know, Mookie and Freeman have just been absurd. And if one of these guys wins this award over Ronald, it's not going to be because Ronald choked it away. Cause I've seen that. I've seen that narrative too, which is just nonsense. I mean, he's, if this is the worst month he has, you know, he's still having a, a, a tremendous offensive month. And, you know, Mookie is the better defender. And every defensive metric will tell you that Mookie is a better defender than Ronald. And I think, honestly, even the eye test will tell you that Mookie is a better defender than Ronald. Ronald has obviously got the stolen bases, and, and he's a better base runner. He's got, he's more athletic. He's younger. Um, so he gets around the bases better than Mookie does. And so the, the tiebreaker is very likely going to be their offense. And Mookie's just been absurd. I mean, he's got a like 250 WRC plus in August. And that's kind of jolted his overall numbers ahead of Ronald's for the season. And, you know, if Mookie's already the better defender, if he's got the advanced metrics and his offensive numbers overall are better, then that's going to be a hard case to beat. And obviously we're still five weeks out from the end of the year. Plenty of time for Ronald to, you know, change the narrative back. And obviously he had a monster night tonight in Colorado. So that was a good start. But, yeah, it's it really is a race now. And... You know, I would love for people just to enjoy it. These two amazing players, arguably the two best players in baseball, not named Otani at least, you know, going at it for MVP and playing on the two best teams. And, you know, that was just that's just really, really cool thing to see. And, yeah, it, it won't be that. It'll be people yelling at each other and, you know, Ronald sucks, Mookie sucks, you know, just Twitter being god-awful. But, yeah, 
I would love to see uh, maybe a higher form of discourse around the MVP and, and really appreciate how good these two guys are, but I'm sure it won't happen. But, yeah, but it, it's disingenuous not to at least mention that Mookie has at least caught Ronald, if not outright passed him at this point in the year. And, you know, we'll see if how Ronald responds. And Mookie should come back down to earth a little bit. Some of the numbers he's running don't really make sense. Shouldn't last too much longer, but, yeah, it should be a fun race. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Daily Hammer. Uh, Chris and I will be with you. Let's see, we're recording Wednesday night, so you guys should get it by Thursday morning. And then, obviously, the main show will be on Sunday, and we will have the rest of this road trip covered. And, obviously, the Dodger series coming up, which is a massive one, we'll have that covered. And, yeah, we'll catch you guys on the other side. Appreciate it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com.